Blog Talk Radio.
Good evening from Dagger Nation. I'm Tim Despain, alongside the Speedway Digest dot com, Mr. Stephen Wilson. You're in the pit stop. Tim Despain and Steve Wilson live from just south of this 2.66 mile monster I call Talladega Super Speedway. Stephen, how you doing tonight, brother? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing good, but I'm cold. I miss where we just come from, brother. Uh, yeah, it was nice and 80 degrees down there in Miami. I came back to some cold weather myself. 50s up here. Yeah, that's about what it was here. And uh, I know your uh, your flight out of Palm Beach yesterday was a little bit later than mine and Suzanne's. I think it was 84 whenever we boarded in Palm Beach. Did it, did it get any warmer down there after we left? I'm pretty sure it did. You cut out there. You say I, I got, I got the yeah. I, I, I got the part about throwing out of Palm Beach, but yeah, it was uh, it was nice down there. It's cold. It's cold back here. It was cold when I got to Atlanta, but uh, I hated to leave it. And I'm ready to go back. I am too, brother. And just to let everyone know the number to call in is two one five three eight three thirty six eighty one. Stephen Wilson and I just got back from a Ford Championship weekend down there at Homestead Miami Speedway. And to let everyone know our scheduled guest tonight, we had uh NASCAR Ten Four Truck Series champion crew chief, uh Scott Zippadelli was gonna come on, but he sent us uh sent us a little note. He's having some travel issues, Stephen, so he's not gonna be able to uh, join us tonight. But um we got plenty to to uh, talk about, like I just mentioned, Scott Creechief there, they they won as what I would call a small team, you, you know, like the David and Goliath deal, like, like we always talk about uh, with uh, Brett and all, but you and I got to sit in the media center there at home and I mean, speak, we can listen to their conversation, and we also got to see them on, on stage in front of uh, the the whole world. I guess, uh crowning that crowning Brett as a NASCAR Ten Four Truck Series champion. Your thoughts on that on that truck race, Stephen, which our good friend Grant Enfinger finished second down there, but um it was Brett Moffat and them, they started out like I said, like the David Engelapa uh, the a small team and they got they brought Scott Zippadelli over and uh it was just sort of like your Cinderella story, wasn't it, brother? I think it was, you know, that that's a they're a very small team, so you know, they don't they don't have the the backing of some of the larger teams such as Thor Sport or KBM and um uh their their partnerships with, with larger organizations and uh engineering that that comes along with some of that. Um, you know, Scott talked very much in length about how the fact they only got eight to ten Full-time guys that work in the shop all week long. Um, you know, some of these got as many as 30 to 50 people working in the shop, and they came and uh, they did. Uh, they did. Um, you know, they did everything that they needed to do when they brought the right people in. Shiki Atori, the the owner, talked about the fact that it's getting the right people to come and work for you, people that are dedicated to you. The, the the long-term goal or the goal for the team. And um, there was a point during the season where they didn't know whether they were going to go uh, to the race in Chicago. And it wasn't until very late on, days, you know, before the event that, you know, a sponsor stepped in and kept their championship hopes alive. Um, 
for Brett Moffitt himself. He uh, he uh, he doesn't know what he's doing next year. There's no commitment as far as he's coming back to this team or he's going to come back and be in another car. But you know that small team put everything together, and uh, they uh, they certainly made a name for themselves, and they showed that you can still win championships without the backing of larger organizations and money that comes along with it sometimes. That's right, Steve. And uh, just to uh, to sort of get your uh, thoughts on, uh, you know, we're going to go on to the NASCAR Xfinity Series deal there and the the cup deal there also. But uh, all weekend long, you and I and Suzanne, we were in the uh, press box media center there, and we didn't have that many cautions at Homestead Miami Speedway, Stephen. What do you think we can contribute that to? Everybody just trying to bring it home safe here to the end of the season? or I don't know, brother. I just want to get your thoughts on that one. Yeah, a lot of them are just trying to, you know, do what they have to do. And um, they they didn't want to be the person that brought the, the – they didn't want to be the caution out. They didn't want to be the person that ended somebody's championship host because they did something stupid. I think everybody was very mindful of the fact of what was going on around them. While they've raced hard against one another, um, I think the lack of cautions are just contributing to the fact of, you know, everybody was just mindful for the fact of, you know, there, there's guys out here going for a championship, and uh, none of us need to be the one that takes one of them out. I mean, we've seen that before. We've seen Carl Edwards be taken out before by by Joey Logano, the, the, the eventual winner of the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series this year, um, two years ago in Homestead. And, uh, you know, that brought a lot of surrounding criticism that, you know, he was he took out a driver that was running for a championship. And I, I think that just goes to the fact that many of these drivers out there just have that mentality now is, you know, they don't want to be the bad guy. They don't want to be the one that brings that caution out. Um, they They want to go out there and race hard, but at the same time be mindful of the fact of, what this is and you know at various stages varying stages of all three events this weekend in the championships trucks Xfinity and Monster Energy and NASCAR was very mindful for the fact of letting drivers and spotters know that you know they had championship drivers coming up on them they were racing for a championship and uh, you know spotters were reminding you know their drivers where these drivers were around the track when they were about to come up so that they, um, uh, you know, so that they were able to, you know, continue racing hard, but not go out there and be again be that person that brought the caution out. Exactly. Stephen, we'll move on to the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Their final race, also there at Homestead Miami Speedway. Uh, Tyler Reddick won the uh, the championship there for Junior Motorsports, and uh, Cole Custer finished second. John Nemechek, John Hunter Nemechek third, ran out of the top five. Daniel Hamrick fourth. And Austin Sendrick fifth. That was another interesting deal there too. And you know, uh we got to see Dale Junior come down and uh celebrate everything with uh with Tyler and you know Tyler right there at the end he uh 
whenever he won at Butler, he, he burnt the tires off. And when we got down there on the uh, track, there was pieces of rubber laying everywhere. But just your thoughts. I, I know, you know, this is Tyler Reddick's first uh, first championship. And also, uh, Tyler, correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, is, is Reddick going to RCR next year? Uh, I don't want to say nothing false. Yeah, Tyler Reddick is going to go over to RCR and take over that number 21 car. Uh, that's been vacated by Daniel Hammer, who's moving up into the 31 Cup Series car next year. Um, so there's some shifting going around there. Um, you know, as far as Reddick is concerned, I mean, he was not the strongest driver all year long. He he won the season opener in Daytona, but throughout the year, you didn't see him as being the strongest driver in the field. That was arguably um, Christopher Bell. Christopher Bell won six, well, I think it was six or seven events or something like that this year. Um, and and that team yeah. was pretty much unstoppable in the fact of whatever track, style of track they were going to. I mean, they did just, just win on one particular style of track. Um, Christopher Bell, you, you, you had to look at him as being the strongest, but Tyler Reddick um, was that fly under the radar guy kind of like what we saw in Ryman Newman a couple of years ago, uh, wasn't necessarily the strongest guy, wasn't necessarily uh, winning a bunch of events, and, well, Ryan Newman didn't win any events that that year and went to the championship race. But the point is is that, you know, he, they they were neither the the strongest driver in the field. They, they were competitors or, you know, their competitors were much stronger, but they were consistent all year. They were consistently good at what they did all year long and while this uh stage racing and the playoffs are are meant to um <clears throat> reward wins um and, and take that consistency part out of it to some degree it still shows that you can play the game and the game can still be consistent and a consistency is still a game that you can play and make it and, and you know, Christopher Bell came into Homestead Miami Speedway in that race. He was just not that good. He ran up against the wall. He was fast, but but it bit him. Unfortunately, it bit him, and he, he ended his championship day by getting in the wall one too many times that ended up blowing a tire and sending him to pit road. He was two or three laps down by the end of the race, and you know, he had gotten into the wall multiple times, and that just hurt the race car. But for them, um, <clears throat> I, I, I think you had to look at some of the other drivers, um, you know, once Christopher Bell went out of this event. And uh, Tyler Reddick and that crew, they were just able to put the whole package together. And uh, you're right, we went down on the racetrack. There was rubber everywhere. The, t- the flag, the championship flag, had wrapped around the rear uh, um, uh, axle in the car. And I mean, there was just stuff everywhere. There was metal pieces of pieces of metal. I mean, he burned that car straight to the ground, um, and it. Uh, and I mean, it, it, it was pure emotion when he did things like that, and it's good to see that we still have that emotion in the sport. That's right, Stephen. And yeah, you are correct. Uh, Christopher Bell had seven wins, and Tyler Reddick had two. But Tyler Reddick, like you said, NASCAR awards consistency and Tyler Reddick was more consistent and you know Cole Custer had the one win Daniel Hemrick did not have a win and that's again 
like you were mentioning about Ryan Newman a few years ago, going, running for the championship. He actually finished second and didn't have a win. But if he would have won that race, he would have won the uh, the championship. And just some more notables there, Stephen. Uh, Justin Algar, he had some issues also. He had five wins. There's a lot of guys that had a lot of wins, but just couldn't just couldn't button it up at uh, at Homestead, brother. No, it didn't. I mean, they, it, you know, they, these were long green runs. This is something that we hadn't seen all year long, and a lot of the guys they struggled, and the struggle became when the sun went down. We saw this both um, um, Saturday and Sunday. The fact that when the sun went down, the cars that weren't as good in the light came became good in the dark, and the guys that were good in in the sunlight, well, they got real bad when it became dark. Um, and again, that goes to the fact of Christopher Bell. My point at Christopher Bell, when it was sunny, he could run up against that wall, and he he was he was good at what he did all day long. When the night fell. He just lost control and got real loose in that car, which slammed him up into the wall one too many times. Again, blowing the tire, sending him to pit road two laps down or so at the end of the race, um, and and ending his championship run. And, and and you know a lot of these these all these cars only practiced in the day. It was only the truck series that got to run a full race under the dark. And they ran practices both in day and night. So, um, you know, they, they, those trucks that we saw Friday night, um, you know, they were exceptional because, you know, they, they had the handling locked down. But, again, we saw some poor performing cars uh, amongst not only the top four, but throughout the entire field that were very poor performing in the light that became very good in the dark and the exact opposite for other drivers. So um, I, I, I think, you know, when, when you start looking at things like that, you know, that's exactly, and we'll get into this, but this is exactly the reason why uh, Kyle Busch and uh, uh, Kevin Harvick didn't win the championship this year. They were good in the light, poor in the dark, and uh, it, it, the cars just, just didn't handle as well. And that was, exceptionally true for, for Christopher Bell, um, where he got very, very loose, complained of a lot of loose. I think they tried to fix a bunch of stuff, and then just, you know, his just day just went from bad to even worse at, at nighttime. And, you know, that allowed uh, uh, Tyler Reddick to capitalize on this. And they were consistently okay throughout the day, but they became even better at nighttime. And while we're still on the NASCAR Xfinity Series, dears, I, uh, series, dude, I want to talk about Ross Chastain. Ross Chastain, the number four uh, Florida Watermelon Association Chevrolet, which is that's his that's his family-owned watermelon farm. He uh, he started twenty uh, third and finished sixteenth. He was the highest-running Chevy Motorsports car there. Now Ross is Ross is going to Chip Ganassi next year full time, and you and I have a clue about who's going to get in that four car but we can't say at this point right now because we were told to zip it but we got a we got an inkling on it but Stephen, uh what do what do you think uh we're going to see out of ross chastain you know not knocking jd motorsports jd's motorsports is a we've had johnny davis on a bunch of times we've had 
uh, Scott Revis, which is a hauler driver there. We've had them on a ton of time. But not knocking Johnny Davis, but with Ross Chastain moving to Chip Ganassi, do you think we could possibly see this is the first time that they've filled a full a full-time driver in that 42 car, I think, since Brennan Poole, which we had Brennan Poole on a while back also. Do you think we could actually see Ross Chastain running for a championship in the D.C. Solar number 42 for Chip Ganassi Racing in 2019? Um, yeah, I think yeah, I think you can just look back at his performance this year at Darlington, a driver that came to Darlington. I mean, he just – I mean, he tore the field up. There, there's no arguing about that. I mean, he just – tore that field completely up, uh, you know, and, and had it not been for him and Kevin Harvick wrecking, he would probably won that race. Uh, and, you know, he comes back a couple of weeks later, you know, and, and, you know, I think this all goes back to the point of, um, you know, Kevin Harvick gets out of the car, Kevin Harvick says he's, he's, he's not going to have very many uh, opportunities uh, going forward. Chip Ganassi was very adamant in the fact that within, you know, just hours of him saying that, he said he's going to get a whole lot of chances, and that was a prelude to the fact of what he was planning to put him in the car, in the Ford Duke car full-time in 2019 or not. Maybe that's where his decision came from. But this was an interview for Ross Chastain. I think he liked the way that he run at Darlington. A couple weeks later, he came back and he won an Xfinity Series event in that 42 car. And then, you know, he had a, he had a third opportunity in that car where he finished in the top five yet again. So for him, that was an interview. And I think we can see Ross Chastain taking better he, – he drove equipment that – was he he far exceeded the driving ability of the, the equipment that he's been put in, and we've seen That's that right. in the trucks. We've seen that in the Xfinity series. We've seen that in the Cup series. He he's not been put in premier equipment, but in every opportunity, he has outdriven the equipment and the ability of that equipment that he was running in. Exactly, and you know, Stephen, he finished tenth in the. Wait a minute, what am I looking? At? Yeah, he finished tenth in the points standings there for JD Motorsports. That's, I mean, you know, we've had JD on. JD's a really good guy, and just to talk a little bit, to talk about what you just said, I think you know, which I actually spoke to uh, to Ross. I think you were still in the media center. And I was down wandering around there. At Homestead, I actually spoke to uh, to Ross and uh, told him congratulations, and he said thanks, Tim. And uh, said we would like to get you back on the show next year. He said you just send me a message; I'll come on anytime you want. We always talk about these drivers that are not. I'm trying to say this without that are not your spotlight drivers. We get a lot of drivers on the uh, show that are like your lower tier stuff, but. I'm not going to call Ross Chastain a lower-tier driver because, like you said, he should have won it there at at, at, at Darlington when, when we were up there too. But Ross Chastain hadn't forgot where he come from, Stephen. And like I said, his family owns that, that watermelon farm down there. And I just really – I I really want to give a shout-out to, uh, to uh, Ross. You know, Ross come on our show and he talks about 
anything we want to talk about. But I just want to jump. I just want to step on my soapbox there for a minute, brother. While we're still on the NASCAR Xfinity series. Yeah, you know, Ross Chastain. I think will continue to take this forward into what he what he has been doing. I, I don't think much is going to change with him, except for the fact he's now going to have an opportunity to um, take equipment that now matches his driving ability and do some amazing things into it. And I think we can see some amazing things out of Ross Chastain going forward in 2019. Exactly, brother. And let's move on to the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, brother. We crowned a first-time champion, Mr. Joe Logano, driver of the Shell Pinzoil Ford there for Penske Racing. And like I keep saying, you and I were down on the grid when they brought the trophy out, when he hoisted it, his wife, his little baby was there with him. And uh, uh, just talk a little bit about, you know, Martin Truex Jr. Well, we always call, I think, you know, Sirius XM, Bagley, and all them. They always call the big three, Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvard, Kyle Bush. And then Joe Logano had made a statement a couple of weeks ago, it's the big three and me. And when Joe Logano showed up at Homestead Miami Speedway, it wasn't the big three. It was him, brother. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I mean, I think it was to an extent. I think he had a lot to prove. Um, I think he, it was redemption to some degree, and I think it, that team had a lot of redemption behind it. Um, I think had, again, I think it comes, again, had Kyle Busch, and uh, Kevin Harvick both not suffered continuing issues with their car as soon as the as soon as we went to night racing. Um, I think we may be talking about a different picture here. I think that uh, I, I, I I don't know who would have won it. I'm not going to speculate because all four of those cars ran. They started together, they ended together. Um, the performance level on all four of the cars and all four of the drivers um, were, I believe, equally matched at the beginning of the race. But as the race progressed, you know, the, the two of the drivers, Kevin Harvick, which was probably the favorite coming in, uh, suffered loose handling conditions through a majority, three-quarters of the race. Kyle Busch, uh, again, half the race or so, as soon as it started the sun going down, his car started suffering issues. Martin Truex Jr., those team, that team was able to – that team was fast, and uh, they had a closing speed, but they just couldn't pass Joey Logano. Um, Logano, while good – and okay during the day, uh, his car outperformed at nighttime better than probably any of the other cars, and that's why he won. Uh, I, it just went down to the fact that there were some cars that were very poor handling at nighttime, uh, i.e. Kevin Harvick and, and, and Kyle Busch, but 
Martin Truex Jr. had an okay car with closing speed, and Joey Logano just had a car that they had worked on enough that 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 by by the time the sun went down and by the end of the race and those long green flag runs, and not only that, the pit crew would never had a mistake all night long. Um, Kyle Busch had a mistake in his pit. He he had several times where he lost uh, a position on the track. Uh, one of them because of a missing lug nut. He lost about six positions in one. He another time he came in he lost four. Um, so that pit crew wasn't firing on all cylinders. Um, and and he had the best pit stop or pit box off of pit road, and he finished he finished fourth in the race. The, the fourth car in the championship. So um, I, I think there's a combination of factors into I don't know. Again, I don't think that necessarily Logano was the strongest. I think they were all pretty equally matched. Each team had to overcome hurdles in order to get to where they were, and Logano's team at the end of the day seemed to be able to be – they were the ones – that made all the difference between no issues on pit road, the being able to to, to run faster at nighttime with with lesser um, with with no handling issues in the car and so forth. So so again, I, I I think you know we saw four equally matched drivers that started together and ended together, and, and it was fitting that they did so because it only proves the fact that they were the four best drivers this year, uh, regardless of of who won the championship. James Logano didn't win as many races as Kyle Busch. He didn't win as many races as as, as Kevin Harvick. Um, Martin Truex Jr. didn't win as many races this year as he did in 2017, even though that this team was shutting down. I mean, I don't think it had anything to do with that. They they just, again, they, they weren't, you know, they weren't the most dominant team on, on mile-and-a-half racetracks this year. Um so again, there were four equally matched drivers, and they finished together. And I think it just um, uh, uh, Joe Logano. Um, you have to give him credit, the team credit, the pit crew credit, everybody to put that package together um, for winning that championship. Because it takes a lot of people and a lot of hurdles to overcome. And sometimes you need your competitors to have a little bit of problem in order for you to go to victory lane or for you to win a championship. And that was necessarily, I think, the case to some degree. Um, Sunday night. That's right, Steve. That's why it's called racing, and you put that very well. And uh, when we were on uh, when we were on the the track there at uh, at the start finish line, when we were all gathering up there, the media had us media had our side, and the the other track the other people had their side. And uh, while you were in there close to uh, close to the uh, the stage there with Joey, uh, I had the opportunity to talk to talk to uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle Petty and uh, Dale Jarrett, and like I asked Dale, I said, Dale, I said, you know, uh, uh, I was figuring on it was gonna have to, you was gonna have to win it to win it, and he said he discussed he he thought the same thing, and Kyle Petty kept saying, Tim, that was some good stuff. That's racing, and just like you mentioned, all four of them finished one, two, three, four. That's why they are the best in racing and Stephen, uh we're going to take a little break we're going to listen to uh let me get my other thing up i have the uh the audio uh from joe logano there at homestead Miami speedway in the media center if i can find it here here it is and Stephen, we're going to listen to a little bit about a little bit of this it's 
a long audio deal, but uh, I'm going to thank NASCAR for allowing us to play this. We're going to listen to it, and uh, you take a little break, I'll take a little break, and then we'll come right back. So this is Joe Logano, your 2018 Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series champion in the media center there at Homestead Miami Speedway. Okay, we are here with the 2018 Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series champion and driver of the yeah, number right 22, <laughs> Joe Penzor Ford. <laughs> That's Joey Logano. Uh, Joey, congratulations. And uh, has it sunk in yet? Talk about uh, yeah, being, I think being a champion. It's just, uh, man, it's it's incredible what goes through your mind and how how it feels to be able to cross the start finish line. You, you, you're able to take the lead, and you know there's quite a few laps left. And as you get closer, you know five laps, four laps, you're counting them down. And you're like, oh, I just want to take the white flag to where you know the caution comes out. We got it, and um, it, it really felt a lot like my first win uh, in Pocono, and, and, and kind of that same thing because how big that first win was to me. And once you get that first win, your goal changes to winning a championship. And I remember those laps there, and my foot would shake on the way down to put the throttle down, and my foot kept shaking, and started doing that again. I was like, "Oh my goodness, it's just, it's uh, it's been so so hard, and and such a, a a long road to get here, and been so close, and had that feeling of defeat, and man, it just it stings. It hurts a lot, and you, the last thing you want is to have that feeling again, um, you know. But yeah, I felt so confident going into this week that. We were the car to beat, um, and I felt like you know after winning Martinsville, it put us in the spot to to really focus in on this race, and um, and we did. We built a great race car, um, you know that, that was able to be good on the short runs. It wasn't a long run race car, that's for sure, but uh, but a 20 lap car, it was that for sure. And um, my race team, I, I wasn't worried about them at all, and. Uh, I knew I just had to do my job, and everyone's going to do their job, and everything was going to be fine. Either way, everything was going to be fine, but uh, I felt confident and relaxed that, that today was going to be a good day. Tremendous. Thank you, Joey. Open up the questions. We'll start up here with Greg, and then move around the room. Hey, Joey. Congratulations. Greg, in a lot of week. Um, I know it's got to be a great feeling, but... Did Martinsville at all or flash back to you in those laps when you and Truex were running pretty close together? And I know, I know there was a little bit of contact. Do, do you have time to think of that kind of stuff? That maybe oh, s he could he could you know he could end this right here, or did you guys work it out well enough that you knew that nothing like that's going to happen? Well, you never know, right? You never know. But honestly, as a competitor, you have to keep that stuff in your mind. Um, everyone says, you know, put it out of your mind, but you have to think about it. You know, we, you have to make the right decisions and, and, and be smart about how we were going to race each other. And um, he raced me hard. He raced me the same way that, that I would have raced him. You know, we ran each other hard and tried to, uh, but there's nothing dirty, you know. It was, everything was fine. Uh, so, I, I, you know, thought the three competitors that, that I was going against this week, you know, it was maybe one of the coolest parts about this whole thing is that, we went up against the best of the best. Uh, no one was in there by accident, you know, and um, to, to, to beat the best, uh, I guess that's what makes this championship feel so good. And I told my, my interior guy, Daniel Lynch, uh, when I got in the car, I said, I'm getting in as a driver and getting out as a champion. And, uh, and we were able to do that. So what a great feeling. Hey, Jerry? Jerry Jordan, kicking the tires that net and PRN. On the 
final lap when you were coming to the uh, checkered flag, you know, I've, I've got your radio recorded, and you were pretty calm the whole last 15 laps, didn't say anything, let out a huge yell as you crossed <laughs> the, the uh, checkered flag, you know, got the checkered flag. But what was going through your mind as you were, you were, you, you know, going that, taking the checkered flag and then going through the uh, cool down lap there? Hey, you're just doing your job, uh, you know, and you're just trying to, to maintain that intensity and, and be perfect. You know, that's that's what you're trying to do. And um, it's funny, <laughs> TJ, my spotter, he's usually pretty relaxed. He doesn't really get too far. Even in Martinsville, when we were coming for, across the line, he never stopped. You know, he's kept spotting and he's relaxed and all. And I could tell in his voice, he was getting excited. You know, <laughs> it was ramping up as we were going. And I was getting excited. And, you know, man, it's just right around the corner. And um, I, I tell you, it was incredible. It's just, uh, it takes us the whole team to do this, you know. And you think about, everyone that's at the shop that that built this thing and the heart that everyone's put into it and the time away from their families and what a motor and i didn't even talk about roush yates what a what a motor um and, and putting pens oil on it too man that thing was hot we were in that thing hot <laughs> and uh, she survived i was nervous about it that was, that was something so um proud of the, the effort that I guess I should be talking more than, than Team Penske because it's the effort that all our partners put into it, not just uh, not just what you see at the racetrack or what you see at the race shop, but what you see from the development center, from from the oil, from the motor shop with Roush Yates to you know, our marketing department and bringing the dollars to pay for all this. You know, everybody is just uh, it's a team win um, for everyone, and I know it sounds so cliche, but man, it, it really is. It's just that it takes. It takes an army to to do this, and um, you know you think about the team that that Roger Penske's put together from the top, and with Cindric and Mike Nelson and Travis Geisler uh, leading the group and hiring the right people, and uh, and building a great race team and building it stronger and stronger. I couldn't be more proud of those guys. And a lot of things happening before it gets to me. You know, a lot of, a lot of big decisions are made. Uh, but before the driver even knows what's going on a lot of times. So, um, you yeah, know, they, they should be super proud of themselves, which I'm sure they are. But uh, what, a, what a great race team from the top down. Good, Bob. Bob Hockers, ESPN. Joe, you, talk, you said long road to here, you know, 10 years in the Cup Series. When did you go from the driver who people could push around to the fearless driver you are today? No, you tell me. Um, you know, honestly, you know, I, I guess I'm, I just felt like that. Just I'm back to where I, I was growing up. You know, as a kid growing up, I was an aggressive racer, um, and I was able to win a lot of races. And uh, I, I got humbled pretty quick. I guess humbled is a word. I, I don't know. I got beat up. <laughs> I got I got pushed around a lot. I, I wasn't fast. Uh, I didn't have no respect. Um, and you know, that I think beats up on your confidence pretty quickly um, and you have to you know kind of dig back inside and every sport's a mental sport so you have to really figure out how to be strong again and, uh, and dig out of holes and um, you know I, I said it after racing one of the interviews but you, the opportunity to make mistakes is one of the best things that can ever happen to you and I made a lot of mistakes a lot of mistakes in front of all of you and um, things I shouldn't say or whatever it was but uh, there's no regrets either because that's formed me to the man I am today. And um, if it wasn't for each and one of those, each and every one of those mistakes, I wouldn't be sitting here today. So, and I wouldn't have the people around me either uh, that, that surrounded me. So, 
uh, God teaches you many lessons sometimes the hard way, but uh, I, I wouldn't take any of them back. Even if we didn't win today, I wouldn't. Go, Jacob. Jacob Seelman, Speed Sport. Uh, two for you, Joey. First, Thursday during media day, you said you were the favorite. You called your shot and you backed it up. What was it that, through all of this all week, has made you so sure that this was going to be the final outcome? You know, I think there's this quite a few things um, you know you, you have to you can't just be confident and, and say it because it's just kind of BS right you have to believe it in, inside and um, you know I think a lot of see my family sitting over there and and, and the support that, that they give me and, and pump me up sometimes when I am feeling down I'm still human uh, you know you still I'm the first one to look inside before I look outward and uh, so I'll beat myself up pretty quick but um, I do know the that we've been here before. Um, you know, I kept telling myself that, and it's funny. Uh, the other night, uh, with our management team, Clutch, um, Noah Gregson, and, and Cole Custer are our uh, drivers as well in there, and uh, I was talking to both of them. And my wife, we were driving from the Comcast uh, Community Champion Award to Executive Racetrack, and I called Cole, and we were talking back and forth. And I looked over, my wife was recording what I was saying because she wanted me to hear what I was saying because I was telling them to be relaxed and that it's going to be good. And, and no matter what, you know, today, win or lose, you become a, a stronger man at the end of the day. Um, when, when you put yourself in high-pressure situations, you find more out of yourself than you know that's there. Uh, and I think that move at the end of the race shows it, that, you know, you, you refuse to lose. You really do. Uh, because I know how much it hurts to finish second. Um, so just a cr crazy thing um, to, to do that. But you honestly need to preach to yourself sometimes. And uh, and I do that as much as I can and, and, and to our race team because we, we didn't have a reason to not feel confident. We really didn't. Uh, We've executed under high-pressure situations before, and we've been here before and done a great job. Uh, my pit crew was incredible, uh, so I, I had everyone around me. I just had to go do my job, and the hard part was kind of over. Plus, all you guys thought we were an underdog. I didn't think that, but you, most everyone did, so <laughs> maybe someone wants some money in Vegas. <laughs> and Roger was in here earlier and talked about how you've matured as a driver and a person since joining Team Penske. Talk a little bit about both what he's meant to your career and then you mentioned your family as well, how they've changed your perspective as you've I think, you know, you eventually got to grow up, right? <laughs> um, it doesn't mean I can't have fun. You know, I still enjoy a lot of things. But, um, you know, to, to first off drive for Roger Penske, it's uh, what an amazing opportunity. You know, quite a few years ago, I knew um, being with someone like that, you can't lose because he's a winner. And you want to surround yourself with winners all the way through. And, uh, you know, one of the, some of the best advice my dad's taught me is to surround yourself with people smarter than you. And that's pretty easy for me, actually, but I might not be the smartest one here, but uh, I sure look good and I have the right people around me. And that's not just my race team, but that's, that's my family all the way through. Like I said, there's, there's a lot of support that goes back and forth and a lot, of, uh, a lot of things behind the scenes that not everybody here gets to know about or, or to see and, uh, in preparation for this because this isn't something that 
I take lightly going into a race weekend. You know, there's a lot that, that I study and, and look into, and there's a lot that everybody's, uh, you know, each individual on our race team goes through to prepare, and, and they got to have a support group as well. You know, we, we talk about my family a lot, but, you know, this is a long, grueling season. You guys know. You guys come to almost every race. Most of you do. Um, you know, <laughs> Jenna's shaking her head. It's funny. Uh, <laughs> We're good. We're we're just laughing. <laughs> Anyways, um, but if you think about think about the amount of time you guys you take away from your family and how hard that is and how stressful it is and 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 missing things with with your kids and missing baseball games or whatever it may be hockey games whatever it you know graduations things like that it, it, this is a commitment this is this is a long season this is not easy to do um, so I think everybody you know has a great great uh, you know backing from their family. My wife just did the uh, the Penske Ladies Night Out, which uh, she does a great job honoring everybody that uh, that puts in all that time, and they have a good time for a night, too. So it's, uh, it takes, like I said, it takes an army. Zach? Steve, that was Joe Logano there in the media center at Homestead Miami Speedway after he won the 2018 Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series Championship. And he was just mentioning there, it's it's a long season. takes a lot away from the family and with his newborn that was 10 months old, which I think it was pretty cool that his wife and the little one was there. And speaking of that, going to the Matt Kansas deal, you know, Matt uh, got out of the car for Joe Gibbs racing and he come back, got in, got in the number six for a uh, Rouse this time. And uh, Ryan Neiman is going to be filling that seat next year. And like you mentioned, uh, Daniel Hemmer is going to be in the 31 car for RCR. We've had a lot of guys that have left the uh, sport. And do you think it's time that we maybe talk about shortening the season? Is it getting too lengthy, too hard? On we have the the longest schedule in all of in all of professional sports to get more family time, Stephen. Um, Steve Phelps actually addressed some of this. It was asked whether it's time to make some changes. Um, got a, I don't know if there's really a committal answer to it, but it was an answer to the fact is that, you know, NAS, and NASCAR, the partners, TV, tracks, drivers, teams, etc. all looking at various different ways of doing some things. Um, do I think it's long past due? Yeah, I think it's long past due. Um, many of these events that we're running four and five hundred miles today, um, it makes no sense to run four and five hundred miles. Um, I know they want to run four and five hundred miles because of the fact that TV gets more airtime. That means more uh, ad revenue, which means in, in in turn that that's more generation of revenue for teams and NASCAR and tracks and everybody involved. When NASCAR started, they you know, we it wasn't really set up as an endurance sport. It was set up as, uh, you know, man versus machine. It was just uh, to out-duel somebody else and equally prepared cars. Um, and over time, uh, we've expanded the schedule. We've expanded how, how long these races are. Um, do I think it's time to go back? I think it's been time to go back for a couple of years now, to be honest with you. I kind of take the mentality of the fact that baseball, when, when baseball was devised, and over the years they've made very few changes to, to the sport of baseball. There's there's nine innings in baseball. 
There's nine players out there on, on, on the baseball field. Over time, that really hasn't changed a whole lot. In NASCAR, things have changed to to something today that is almost it, – it, it doesn't even resemble the fact of what NASCAR started for or started as. Um we got to we got to a phase in NASCAR where it was man versus machine. It was endurance style racing. They were trying to pr- push the cars and drivers beyond the ability of anything in any other sport. And while I think it's admirable, we've gotten to a point in the sport that um, we just don't have that many mechanical breakdowns anymore. We just don't have the fatigue of drivers um, as we did once before. Uh, I, the times have shifted, um, but I think at the end of the day, I think it's long past time. I think it's past time that they go back and start looking at these events. Uh, I don't understand, and I'm not picking. I'm not going to pick on any track, but but as far as Texas is concerned, there's no reason that it needs to have two 500 mile races there. None, zero. Uh, Kansas Speedway, Kentucky. I don't think they need to be 500 or 400 mile races. I think a 300-mile race out there would suffice. Um, you know, I, I I think that when you start looking at premier events or crown jewels of the sport like the Daytona 500 or the, the Southern 500 or the Coke 600, um, I think we still need to keep those. I think we honestly need to keep those the way that they are. I don't think there needs to be any changes to that. I think we need to have those in the sport. Um but do I see running 500 laps around Martinsville today as I saw running 500 miles around Martinsville 20 years ago? No. Uh, I, I, I think running 400 miles oh, – I'm not 400, 500. Five, 400 laps around Martinsville is sufficient enough today that we don't, we don't need to run 500 miles anymore. I think consolidation in the sport would be a good thing. Uh, I know that there's a resistance to that because that means less revenue in, in various different aspects of the sport. And while I can accept that, you know, there could be some revenue cutting, um, I think it's long past due that the sport itself cuts revenue or cuts costs. And, and if it means they're having to do it because they're getting less revenue, I think that's perfectly okay. Um, the sport has to right-size itself. And the sport is already doing that in some degree. Uh, Richmond had 110,000 seats. It has 55,000 seats today. Um, Homestead, Miami, this weekend, it's got about 47,000, 48,000 seats. At one point, it had over 60,000 seats. Um, you know, the, 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 the tracks are right-sizing themselves. Um, we're seeing that happen across the board. We're seeing that happen at Michigan and Charlotte. Um, we're, we're, we're seeing it happen in in Dover. We're seeing it happen in Pocono with them cutting two 500-mile races down to two 400-mile races. So we're seeing this across the sport, and I think it's a good thing. I think at the end of the day, this is a good thing because sometimes less is more. Um, The less that somebody has of something, the more they want it. And I think that is imperative and, and kind of true in sports because it creates demand to some degree. If you're only running 32 races a year or 30 races or whatever number you've come up with, um, that's 
that's six less rights of the year that somebody has an opportunity to go. That creates more of a demand to the fact that, oh, I've got to go to a race. I don't get as many chances this year as I had last year. Or the fact of, well, you know, there, there, there's, you know, only fifty thousand seats this year. You know, I'm, I, I, that you've got to create demand in in various different avenues of the sport, but you got to create demand in the fact of what fans want. And fans are looking for more short tracks. They're looking for more road courses. Is NASCAR going to move that way in 2021? I don't know whether they are or not. I think it would be imperatively uh, um, successful, and I think it would be imperative to the sport that they do so. Um, do I say that they just need to go out there and just arbitrarily start cutting tracks and cutting dates from tracks so that they can go and do this? No. I think it needs to be a collaborative uh, effort in the fact of uh, – of, uh, you know, the who and where they go. Rockingham was recently sold. The, the new owner said that they would like to pursue NASCAR at some level at some point. Fairground Speedway. SMI has now become active again. They tried to bid on the track to buy the track or, or to lease the track, and now they are working collaboratively with the, with the lease holder at that track. Gateways reopened back up. Mansfield has turned to dirt. Uh, you know, there's tracks all over the place, places that we've gone before, places that are closed, places that are being reopened, places that are being converted. Could NASCAR and the track owners work with other track owners or work with uh, existing inventory out there? I think so. I think that we can start shifting things around that track owners are still going to get the best bang for their buck, but NASCAR fans are going to get exactly in some aspect, what they're looking for. And I think we can move to that at some level. It's going to take time. It's going to take the collaboration. It's going to take um, everybody moving together to shift this sport. And I think that dynamic is already, <clears throat> I think that dynamic is already happening today. Um, I don't think NASCAR is going to wait much longer. I think they're, they, they're already in this transitional phase of, how do we make this work in 2021? I think you could see a completely different sport in 2021, um, not only in the direction of the sport, the length of events, but where we run events. I think we will see a totally different sport that could re-energize not only the fan base that's currently with us, but re-energize a fan base that has been casual or maybe a fan base that uh, has been left to the side because of a, pl- a closing of a Rockingham or a Memphis or a Mansfield. And I think, you know, we could bring fans back into the sport by going back to some of these places, creating demand with a lesser schedule, and uh, doing things that that is going to be overall bring the sport, which is already healthy enough as it is to be sustainable for themselves, but become even more sustainable over for everybody. I mean, uh, 36 weeks of points paying and two non-points paying is a lot of travel. There was over 200 people for NBC there this past weekend. That's a lot of capital, not only human capital, but, but revenue capital on the ground. And they do this every single week for half the season. And so does, so does Fox. Um, I just think for them, there's some shifting that's going to occur, and there's already shifting that's going ha, has happened this season. There's more shifts that are going to happen next season with Fox. 
Um, and, and I think NBC is going to follow suit because I think at the end of the day, when one does something, the other has to do it better in the sport or find a different way to do it. And uh, I think that the shifting dynamic has already started in the sport. There's people, they're not ignorant to the fact of what's going on. They understand the dynamics of today, and they understand that they have to make some changes, and they're making those changes now. They're not waiting any longer to make changes. They're trying to meet the demands of the teams and, and fans and the tracks and the sport and everybody, all the partners involved. And at the end of the day, yes, I think I think we're going to see a totally different sport in 2021. I agree, Stephen. And uh, I think I just told you I got a call from Neil from Homestead, the public relations director. I'm going to, have to call him back. But uh, I just text Scott Revis. We're going to try to – let's see if we can get a hold of Scott Revis, uh, haul driver for JD Motorsport. We want to see what all he had to – Try that new button, brother. Hello. Just how big a boy is you? This is Tim. You're in the pit stop with Tim this funny Stephen Wilson. Can you hear me, Scott? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Hey, uh, just wanted to call up and check on you, brother. Uh, I know we, uh, uh, you left today early down there from Homestead, Miami Speedway, heading back, uh, this is uh, Scott Revis, uh, ladies and gentlemen, driver of uh, one of the JD Motorsports haulers, haulers down there. Uh, are you glad it's over with, brother? Uh, I'm I'm ready for a break. <laughs> um, probably about another month. I'll start getting the itch to be ready to go somewhere, and then my my daughter might slap me real hard. But uh, I'm definitely definitely ready for the the next thirteen weeks. I heard that, brother. And thanks for letting us call you. Uh, like I know, I know you're probably still trying to rest up from that long drive back. But uh, Scott, I'm gonna hand you over to uh, to uh, Stephen. Stephen might have a few questions, and I'll let him throw throw you back over to me, and we'll let you get out of here. But thanks for letting us call you, brother. We appreciate it. Ah, uh, no problem. Uh, next time you see that number four hauler in, in the truck series, you let him know that he run about everybody off the road. Getting out of there uh, on on Friday night. Uh, I I said the next time that you see the number four hauler in the truck series, you let him know that he ran over. He was running over everybody on the way out there. I think he was ready to go home. That's Ramos. (laughs) Yeah, he. uh, That's the thing with the truck series. If we don't move until everybody's door shut, when the truck series guys close their doors, they can leave, and it's. It, it turns into chaos. But, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about because we about got ran over by him, too. <laughs> uh, you know, what do you guys do during the off-season? There, well, there really is no off-season, but what do you do in the in the so-called off-season between now and Daytona? Um, a lot of it depends on what team you're on. A lot of the teams don't carry the truck drivers over the winter. Um, they'll get laid off or they'll have uh, winter jobs where they'll go drive a truck for another company. I, thankfully, I'm not one of those. Um, what we basically started doing is getting stuff ready for next year. We'll start uh, fixing the garage boxes, things we haven't been able to do during the season just because we had another time. Um, have to get all the fuel cans ready to be reinspected, repainted, 
get all the dents knocked out of them. And then we, we all got our special pet projects. Like I'm going to put some underglow lights on my, my truck and trailer. And that's going to be something I'm going to do probably in January. I'm going to pull the truck into the shop. And uh, we're going to light it up. <laughs> and uh, But every place is different. Uh, most of my stuff's going to be working on the pit boxes and the, and the garage boxes and working on my truck. Plus, I'll be going a lot of back and forth to NASCAR because NASCAR is doing the measuring of the bugs on the cars now, so we have to get all of our cars remeasured. So I'll be going back and forth to NASCAR quite a bit. <laughs> well, uh, I appreciate you coming on here tonight, to talk. Uh, I, I'm 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 running out of things to say tonight, so I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let them <laughs> take this one from here on. Right on. Thanks, David. Yeah, Scott, uh, I want to thank you for everything that you've done for us. You've helped us get Ross Chastain. Uh, we've had a lot of a, a, a lot of drivers on. Just talk a little bit about, Scott, if you can, about how many miles did you travel this year? I mean, you've been cross-country. You do it by yourself. Sometimes you have a uh, a, a co-driver with you. Uh, sort, of, sort of just let all of our listeners know just, how hard it is on a hauler driver to go to work at NASCAR. Just in the last two weeks, I drove 7,500 miles. That's just in the last two weeks. Now, that was because I didn't go to Texas. I helped Morgan Shepard's crew get their truck out the out the Phoenix. And then uh, three days later, turn around and come right back home and then go down to Miami and back. So it's but over the course of the season, you look around fifty-five to sixty thousand miles. That's a lot, brother. And uh, we want to thank you for everything that you do. But uh, uh, just talk a little bit about uh, the the weather, Scott. Uh, you know, we we go from from cold to hot and everything. Does that actually affect you as a is a hauler driver for I mean, you know, like I always say, if I go from here to to Miami Homestead Speedway, I left thirty eight degree weather and I go down there and it's eighty something degree weather. Do you, is that prone for you to get sick sometimes, bro? No, not really. Um, like I said, when we left the shop when we left it was sleeting. So <laughs> like I said, like you as cold as the world, I was dressed in sweatpants and sweatshirt and T shirt and by the time I got to Jacksonville it's 80 degrees outside, and I'm having to put shorts on. And uh, the biggest weather thing that bothers me is going out west, uh, especially being in Phoenix and Vegas where there's no humidity. I'm just, I, I'm used to humidity, and no sooner than I'm out there a day or two, my whole system dries out. And uh, if I don't drink a ton of water, I, I'll get, I, I generally come back from Vegas in the spring swing sick because my body's not used to the, the dryness of the air and everything out in Las Vegas and Phoenix. And then by the time you get to California, you're already sick. <laughs> but as far as the weather change, temperature-wise, it doesn't bother me. It's just the, the humidity is what kills me. Yeah, like like we say here in Talladega, it ain't it, it ain't the heat; it's the humidity. That is correct. Uh, we were forced to get Phoenix in the morning because it rained. So I mean, that worked out great for me. <laughs> That's right, and uh, I don't forget where I was going. I had a question, and I jumped off. Go, oh, uh, you uh, you drive the hauler for? Correct me if I'm wrong. Garrett Smithley, right? Yeah, we we kind of switch off here and there. I 
I've driven all three of them, but um, for the most of the year, I was on Garrett's truck. That's right. And uh, you had you and I spoke. Uh, I think Stephen was there with us also. Uh, you and I and Stephen and Suzanne, we we spoke. You uh, you had been going over the wall some for Jennifer Joe Cobb fueling the the truck. And you said you're gonna. Are you gonna hang it up, brother? You you gonna retire from being a fuel man? <laughs> I'm not going to go actively searching for it. If somebody wants me to do it, I can always use the extra money. <laughs> it's it's hard to turn down. I mean, the pit crew guys get paid pretty well. And uh, it's hard to turn down cash money. <laughs> you know, that's probably why I, the reason I did it mostly this year is because that pretty much covered most of my Christmas. <laughs> and uh, But there's a team that I've got several offers on the table. I'm probably going to stay where I'm at. But I've had one that wants me to pit all year long, and I'm just like, uh, I don't really think I want to do that. <laughs> I'm getting a little and too old. You, uh, oh, you ain't getting old, Scott. And you talk a lot, of bit, uh, a lot about owner Johnny Davis. John Davis has done a lot for the, a lot for the sport, and he is he is a uh, like you mentioned. You had uh, helped Morgan Shepard. Uh, John Davis and your team has helped Morgan Shepard these past two or three weeks. Can you talk a little bit about how y'all actually helped uh, Morgan? I know he had he had, had a crash in practice or something, and y'all loaned him a car. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I wasn't actually in Texas, when they, but they did loan him a car, and then they brought their wrecked car and another car back to our shop and um, had our guys go over it. We put it on a set-up plate, set it up for them, and then uh, – when I was supposed to fly out on Thursday with the guys, I ended up, they asked if I could help drive him to make sure he got out there on time. And uh, so I rode with Nick, their caller driver, slash crew chief, slash everything he does for Morgan. And uh, we actually made pretty good time out there. And uh, Nick's a good fella. We got along pretty good well, and Brian Wertman was with us, and we hauled a rear end out there. I think we stopped maybe two or three times just to grab some fuel, and of course, I felt bad for him because I ran the thing out of fuel 20 miles from the racetrack. <laughs> and uh, it said it had fuel, but the truck said uh had other other ideas. So we had to sit there for a little bit to prime the pump and get it back going again. But we got to the racetrack on time. And uh, Johnny and Morgan have been friends for a long, 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 long time. And it's it's pretty cool. You have all the people in the garage who know who you are. Morgan knows my name. He knows who I am. And to me, that's pretty cool. And one final question, Scott, before we let you jump out of here. Uh uh we were down in the uh in your in your uh your holler area, I guess I would call it. Uh at Homestead Miami Speedway and you had you had that brisket cooking and uh Suzanne took about I don't know if Stephen did or not, but you know, I told you I had a fresh dip of snuff. Well Suzanne said mm-hmm. that was the best brisket she ever ate, brother. <laughs> I had that stuff marinating for 48 hours. It is either going to be really good or, or really bad. And it turned out to be really. I've cooked 18 pounds of London broil that day, and them boys ate every bite of it. I bet they did, brother. And I guess I should have spit my fresh dip of snuff out and got me a bite, <laughs> shouldn't I? Uh, you probably should have. Even my, my hauler driver buddies were coming over and grabbing something. And they're like, damn, you got to tell us what you did. Yeah, you got. You, you got my good buddy Chris Bowman there following you too. Oh yeah, he ate. I think he had about two platefuls. <laughs> well, you can you can probably see it on him. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> I can't uh, say a word. I, 
<laughs> That's right, brother. And Scott, I want to thank you for letting us call us uh, call you, and thank you for an awesome season. Thanks for being a good friend. Is there any sponsors you want to thank for uh, Johnny Davis or anything you got to floor, brother? Um, other than our normal flex seal, uh, I would say the watermelon guys, but they're not with us no more. We lost our, our good buddy Ross. So we wish him well, and I'm proud. I'm proud as hell of that kid. And uh, it's not going to shock me to see that boy win a ring next year. And by a lot. If he didn't win six races, I'm going to be disappointed. But uh, Sundrop Canada Drive, all those folks that get us to from the racetrack every week, we're grateful for them and look forward to having them back next year. Scott, thank you, brother. And I know uh, we have some news coming down the pipe. He's going to be in the number four car. And whenever that gets announced, would you be able to come on and talk a little bit about who's going to be the driver of the number four car next year at J.D. Motorsports? Absolutely. All right, Scott. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks again. It's been a long season. Get some rest, and we'll talk to you next year, brother. All right, brother. I'll be good. All right. See you, brother. Thanks. Scott Rebus there, uh, driver, the hall driver for uh, Garrett Spitzer there at JD Motorsports. Uh, uh, I want to thank him for letting us call him and bring him on. And like I said, I want to apologize for the social media post that I had put out for uh, the Astro Camper Royal Truck Series Champion Crew Chief Scott Zippadelli was going to join us. But he had some travel issues, and he has agreed to come on at a later date. But, uh, Stephen, uh, any, any breaking news or anything you need to get out, brother? Nope, that's my accident off. Okay, and uh, to let everyone know, uh, we're going to, after the week of December the 10th, we're going to shut down in observance of uh, Christmas and the New Year's holidays. I think we got one more show. Uh, I'm not real good on everything. But, Stephen, I want to thank you again. And we had a blast at Homestead, Mammoth Speedway. I got to call Neil back. Neil called me. I want to call Neil and see what he is going on. And we will talk to you next Tuesday evening. Uh, I'm Tim Despain, pitstopradio.net. He's Stephen Wilson, speedwaydigest.com, just right outside of Richmond Raceway. Thanks for listening in, and thanks for a great season NASCAR, and thanks for everybody that called in. We will talk to you next Tuesday evening, live from Degan Nation.